Holy Football Show. Today, Mo plus Mane does equal Mo problems for Man City as Liverpool proved too hot to handle at Anfield. We look back on a controversial classic and consider the team choices Pep should have thought twice about. That FA Cup and more on the way as we bring a little clarity or a lot of clarity in the case of West Ham's trip to Burnley to the weekend's drama in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Hello, listener. Thanks for being with us today. Could have been listening to any podcast in the world, but you're here with us. When I say us, I'm talking about fresh back from Anfield, Sasha Gurionov. Hello, James. Great morning. <laughs> Welcome back, Sasha. <laughs> fresh up from Southampton, a similarly jazzed Carl Anker. Hello, James. Hi, Carl. Uh, you're going to talk Saints, maybe a little Man United, some crazy thing like that. And fresh back from our, from our Irish jaunt, Michael Cox, who saw the greatest goal he ever witnessed live this weekend in an unexpected place. Yes, I did. Uh, we were in Dublin on Friday night and Belfast on Saturday night. So whilst I was in Belfast, I went to Cliftonville against Warren Point. Right. Cliftonville were playing good football. Warren Point, I think, at bottom of the league, didn't offer much. But uh, yeah, the second goal by a guy called Conor McDermott at the right back was genuinely the best game I've, the best goal I've ever seen. Where like. were you? St- it's actually gone viral a bit, but you it were has. there. Where were you stood? I was behind the other goal, so I was right behind the shot. So I think I was in the best possible place to see it. Nice play by McDermott. Has a goal from distance, spotted the goalkeeper off his line. What a goal from McDermott. But Conor McDermott has just scored a contender for goal of the season. So it was kind of after a corner situation and he was the last man back, controlled a high ball, brought it down beautifully, then kind of dinked it over an opponent's head um, and then brought the ball down again. And then from 60 yards, well inside his own half, absolutely pinged it over the opposition goalkeeper and into the top corner. Wow. It was just such a crisp, pure, driven strike. It wasn't just a hopeful lob. It was a real drilled strike. And it was just... Incredible. Like, it, given the context of the game, you know, obviously not the, the highest standard you will see, but to see a goal of that quality was remarkable. Was that uh, was that goal by any chance wind assisted? Because it's quite a windy place, solitude. I think uh, if you look from where you were looking on the right, there is no stand, is there? You're right. And I think that stand was blown down in a gale. Really? Years ago, <laughs> it like was. That. I mean, it was very cold. I'm not sure it was noticeably wind mm-hmm. assisted. I must say, it was uh, just brilliant. Probably the best goal I've ever seen. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed that. And indeed, all aspects of our Irish stroke, Northern Irish jaunt. Uh, Many thanks to everyone who came by. Listener, I know you, you tuned in to hear us talk about Liverpool Man City. So, Sash, let's get on that right now. You've just come back from Anfield. What was the mood like there? Was, uh, I think pre-match was quite buoyant. I think this is a Liverpool crowd which is, I think, very confident of its players now. And I think any big game after Barcelona is just, it's not child's play, but, you know, they know they can do it. Right. You were there working for yeah. a Russian, uh, for o- a Russian o- broadcast. Sport, yeah. So I had a chat with Harry Kuehl, had a wander around the changing room. Um, yeah. So they are the guys who have the broadcast stretch for the next three years. They're uh-huh. part of the Rambler group. And yeah, so they tried to cover as many games the as Ramble possible. The Rambler group. Rambler. 
Oh right, not the right. Yeah, yeah, not right. not that not that. The Rambler Rambo. group, yeah. right? And does Harry Kiel speak Russian? Uh, no, he doesn't. But he gets dubbed and translated. So Harry Kiel's. Um, so what they've done this season? It's a thought, isn't it? <laughs> this season, PLP have done a thing whereby they provide two pundits, two international broadcasters to, to speak to before the game. Uh -huh. so, you know, just just general four or five minute chat pitch side, which actually is very helpful. Harry Kiel's absolutely lovely guy. Um, I went in the changing room before the game as well, and I was like, I mean, what do you look for in the changing room? And I was trying to see patterns. Who sits with who? And as it turns out, the keeper always sits to the right of the door. And it seems to happen like in quite a few places. But I thought the fact that it was Alisson, Trent, Van Dijk and Fabinho. So this is like the defensive unit of Liverpool all sitting together, particularly Trent, you know, the young lad between the two senior pros at the back. Probably quite significant in terms of, you know, just getting in the mood and you know, discussing the game and, and stuff like that. And when Liverpool came out to play... Although they were under pressure for the first, I say, 15 minutes, and you know, I gave, I gave away a lot of free, uh, a lot of set pieces. Mm. The two counters that they scored were absolutely clinical. They exploited smallest chinks, uh, even not chinks, because I think if you look at the second goal, Trent delivers uh, the ball across the pitch to uh, Robertson with his left foot, mm. and I think something that wasn't picked up, and I didn't realize at the time, but I was speaking to my mate Tom at halftime, and he said, "Look at the movement of Bernardo Silva." Bernardo Silva thinks that ball's going to go back, so he actually goes forward. There's actually still in today's times where you can see he's like running away from where the pass is going to go, so nobody read it apart from Robertson because obviously they know that the, the ball is coming in. And after the, um, the game, I mean, Klopp said like extraordinary goal. He's never seen anything like it because I think three touches and it was in and they went across the pitch, across mm -hmm. again and Salah putting it in. And I think then what you could see as well is, um, I mean, there's been a questions about City's record, resilience. Can they fight back and, and stuff like that? Oh, yes, they can. Oh, yes, they are absolutely brilliant. I mean, Bernardo Silva is an extraordinary player. The way Sterling kept on having a go, a go, a go, a go, a trend, sometimes getting better at him, sometimes not. And they were relentless. I thought on about 60, City died off a bit, which would have been understandable. But I think they were just readjusting because next thing you knew is on Liverpool's right-hand side, you have obviously De Bruyne drifting there, you get Sterling, and suddenly Angelino appearing. Mm. And Liverpool didn't react to that, I think, until very late on. And right. I think that generally caused maybe a 10 minutes of anxiety, especially after City pulled the goal back. But I think at the end of the game, I like, there's immense satisfaction from the crowd because eventually Liverpool saw the game out. Possibly their most convincing win over City in quite some time, even probably more convincing than 3-0 in the Champions League. And it's a, just a huge statement, possibly two, two best teams in the world. And Liverpool were 3-0 up and Liverpool were able to beat this absolutely extraordinary side. And now they're many, many points clear at the top. Thank you, Sasha. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Coming up in part two today. <laughs> no, no, no. I can't disagree with anything you said there. Um, the second goal, beautiful and brilliant in its simplicity. The first goal, a little bit controversial because of the way it originated with a city attack blocked by Trent Alexander-Arnold's hand. Some people pointing out that the new rules say that even if a handball is accidental in the build-up to a goal, it means that the goal should be ruled out. We've seen that happen before this season. Should that apply in this case? Were Man City right to feel that the game had been unjustly taken away from them at that point? Karl Anker? Perhaps so. Certainly, there's been previous incidences to, to, to indicate that that goal should have been revoked. It was a fantastic goal. And, mm. and it, it does have the feeling of a bit of, the goal was so wonderful, it has to stand regardless. Um, I've been in conversation with Duncan Alexander previously regarding VAR checks in the league and we found out at the start of October that VAR checks don't really kick in until around about the 17th minute oh. in Premier League oh. games. So that, that's sort of the most, it's like the biggest spike of VAR checks. Um, and we came up with an entirely unserious, joking, pretend theory right. that 
much like in a in, in you know traditional games of football where the first couple of minutes you can sort of get into someone early without getting a yellow card. Right. Very much VAR decisions don't go to VAR for the first fifteen minutes because everyone's just sort of sitting there drinking their coffees and then after fifteen minutes. The I mean, goes, they did send this back to VAR. It, it, was, it was one of those sort pretend. of pretend. <laughs> yes, it did feel a bit like you can get away with a big tackle in the right. first 15 minutes and you can get, a big, get away with a bit of a big VAR decision the right. early stages of the game. Because it was suspicious how quickly they came back with an answer as compared to the, say, three and a half minutes they took to uh, disallow Lundstrom's equally wonderful goal for Sheffield United. Michael, should we be focusing on this or should we say that whatever happened with that decision, Man City came into this game set up wrong? I don't think they were necessarily set up wrong. I mean, clearly they were a lot, they were weakened very much with uh, defensive injuries. Right. But, um, for example, the way does, does this result confirm that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer is a better manager than Pep Guardiola? In that, he dealt with Liverpool's big weapon, the, the, the full-backs, in a pretty excellent fashion, and Pep didn't. Yeah, I, I think that is a fair criticism. But um, I'm not sure that they necessarily lost it because of the full-backs. I thought that goal they scored was just brilliant combination play that would be difficult to stop. But I thought there were some interesting things about the first goal. I mean, it was such a quick counter-attack from Liverpool that uh, usually just associate a counter-attack with scoring straight away. But I thought the interesting thing there was Fabinho was in so much space because it was just almost impossible for City's forward line to recover and, and basically make the team compact again. But did you see there was also a mix-up as well? Because the high, when the ball comes out of Fabinho first, the highest person up is Angelino. And he consciously goes to left-back. And I think he waits for Gundogan to come up and to close him down. And he just doesn't react. And I, I mean, it does happen sometimes in midfield, but yeah, if you, if you look at this, Angelino literally is there and he just moves out of the way. But it's a funny game because once the team is winning 2-0 and is winning 2-0 for the majority, you end up thinking, well, they deserve that. And I think right. Liverpool did play well. But the first 15 minutes, Liverpool were really poor. I mm. thought they lacked, mm, yeah. more than anything else, they lacked discipline. There were so many silly free kicks they gave away, two of which led to very good opportunities, really. Scored, said, head on the so De Bruyne yeah. put the ball in. Yeah. So it was a, a strange game, really. I would almost compare it to last season's game in, in January, where I thought, uh, it was very, very even. I thought Liverpool were a slightly better team. The 2-1 at, at yeah. the Yeah, and City won, and that really was the result in the end that won them the title. This, I think, was a, maybe a more even game than the scoreline would suggest, but it puts Liverpool into an incredible position. Certainly does. Eight points their lead now, nine from Man City. Only Man United in 93-94 have had a bigger lead after 12 games. This is the fewest points Man City manager Pep Guardiola has taken from his first 12 top-flight league matches of any season. It's the first time he's ever been more than three points behind on the top at this point of the season as well in his career. It's also Sergio Aguero's ninth match at Anfield against Liverpool in all competitions and he's never scored there. 14 shots, no goals. Why is that? Why, Sasha? Uh, you know, I've seen him miss uh, very presentable opportunities there before. He could have equalised in the last second of the 4-3 uh, in mm. January 2018. Yesterday, he should have he should have scored at least one. Uh, he had, I'd say, three or four really presentable chances. Um so I don't know. And then in the end, he got hooked on 70 minutes and they got some more um, sort of impetus with Jesus coming on. Uh, I, I literally can't explain because I think Aguero is clinical, amazing striker. Mm. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It was truly baffling uh, and perplexing. Kevin De Bruyne, his, you know, it looked to be a, a, you know, a foregone conclusion that he would break Thierry Henry's assist record. And then all of a sudden, the assist has stopped coming and he doesn't seem to be playing any worse. Okay. I, some, said, some. I said a few weeks ago that we, we always say these things after five weeks. He's nailed on to break the assist <laughs> record, but that's not how statistics work. <laughs> sometimes a player runs cold. Sometimes there's someone with loads of prayer beads protecting a record for Arsenal. What about <laughs> at half time? They were 2 0 down at half time. Dangerous. 
Yeah, dangerous, dangerous. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And not least because of that, I'm thinking, well, this is going to be fascinating to see how City respond, what Guardiola comes up with in the second half. And nothing happened, not until maybe Henderson went off and then you had this kind of... But the, also Liverpool scored after five minutes. In the right. Yeah. So I think that's kind of... Again, I thought for the first few minutes of the second half, City were doing good. Right. Not as well as the first five minutes of the first half. And then just one chance. And that, that ball by Henderson is extraordinary because... You can see Bra- Bravo's face. It's like, do I come? Do I go? And this is the moment where you can see Bravo is like, this is why you're your second string here, really. And in the end, great header from Mane, but it's the, the the flight of the ball just completely took out the whole defence. And also Liverpool had made a half-time switch as well. They'd gone to 43-1 yeah. with Henderson going to the right, mm. Mane coming back to the left, which I think was probably a defensive thing to be a, a little bit more solid, maybe trap the runs of Angelino, as, as you mentioned. But it also had the unexpected impact of putting Henderson in a, in a crossing yeah. position. And he is very good in that position. I mean, you know, that's where he played a lot the start of his career with Sunderland. He's a very good deliverer of the ball. And that was, it reminded me a little bit of... Uh, do you remember Gary Neville's cross for Alan Shearer of Scotland a year in 96, where it's like a kind of out-swinging far-post ball that takes the goalkeeper out of mm. the equation almost. is just the best type of cross, I think. Because it kind of just slides past him. Yeah. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, City have now conceded more goals this season than Man United and have lost more games than Wolves. It's remarkable, isn't it? You do get this weird problem when you watch Manchester City now and go, Oh, yeah, all the things we said about Fernandinho getting older coming to pass. Oh, yeah, they probably shouldn't have let Vincent Company go without getting another centre-back. Right. Because for so long, a lot of Manchester City's defence, particularly on counter-attacks, was reliant on Fernandinho on the halfway line mm. trying to stop that counter-attack. Or if that didn't happen, it'd be Vincent Company sprinting out from the penalty area up until the midpoint to make the tactical foul, reset everything, get the free kick. Now Fernandinho's playing at centre-back, there's just a huge gap on the halfway line. Rodri and Gundogan isn't the defensive midfield shield um, many thought it would be. They're, they're, there's much of a muchness between the two, I think, uh, as defensive midfielders. So there's, and Fernandinho's going, wait, what? No, I can't do both jobs. One of you has to help me out. Right. And you've seen it now against Norwich. You've seen it now against Wolverhampton Wanderers. And now you've seen it against Liverpool. There is, if you can get past the first initial tactical foul, you can score against City. And you, well, you better score against Manchester City because you're only going to get two or three of those chances a game. Which is going to be really interesting in a couple of weeks' time because Man City's next fixture is up against Chelsea, who are quite tasty on the break as well, no? Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, Jorginho will constantly look for Tammy Abraham when he gets possession. And Kovacic, his ability to dribble from deep areas is really, really dangerous. I, th- I think it's actually a good point also about um, Man City playing Chelsea because in this first 12 games, Liverpool have actually played the rest of the big six mm. and they've played Leicester as well and they had one draw in those games. Whereas this is only City's second game against the big six and it's now starts a run of four games out of six where they play the other big sides um, and they're already training by nine points. So I think Liverpool have effectively picked up points where it's not that they weren't expected to pick them up, but that's where they would have been expected to at least drop something. As it stands, Liverpool are four points better off than at the stage of last season and actually six points better off than in the corresponding games. All right, the um, Uncle Sash curve. I mean, I don't know. I, I didn't really want to call it anything. I just have it in my own spreadsheet as well. And another thing with City, City only failed to win six games in the whole last season. Uh-huh. They already failed to win four. Right. So they're way, way below par. Do, uh, do Liverpool fans still consider Man City their number one rival for the title this year or would Leicester or Chelsea now occupy their thoughts more? I think while people would, would jest, I think there is a recognition that City are amazing. Okay. And I think in the longer term they will prevail over those other two teams um, no matter how well they're doing just because you can look at this City and they can still win 15 games in a row, I think. And, okay. and no one else can. I see. Well, Liverpool's other adversary, of course, is the calendar. 
because they've got that nightmarish run of, what is it, 12, 13 games in it's 37 days? It's a lot of, lots of games. It's uh, basically over a month with games every three yeah, days. Yeah, exactly. So midweeks um, for two months. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, that's going to sting. It all begins after the international break with a trip to Crystal Palace. Kristan Ball, Sasha. So this story's a long way from being over. Anyway, we'll talk about uh, some of those other teams that have got themselves into the, uh, the title mix when we return after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Listener, if you're in and around Liverpool on the 25th of November, why not drop by the Epstein Theatre for laughs and football chat and all sorts of excitements as we do our last Totally Football Live show of 2019. Of course, we've just come back from two very enjoyable for us anyway evenings uh, with fellow listeners in uh, Dublin and Belfast. This time around, it's going to be Julian Laurence is back with all sorts of extraordinary tales. Uh, Raphael Honigstein will be giving us the real lowdown on Jurgen Klopp, the stuff that he can't put in print. And also Duncan Alexander with some crazy stories. That's all happening on Monday the 25th of November and tickets are available either via the Epstein Theatre or via our website, thetotallyfootballshow.com slash events. Woof! Second and climbing, and ahead of Chelsea on goal difference alone, are Leicester, who, among a poppy-packed King Power Stadium, beat Arsenal 2-0 at the weekend. Wow, Michael. Just wow. Yeah, wow and not wow, because oh. I, I don't think anyone was that surprised about this, were no. they really? I mean, Leicester just a better side than Arsenal at the moment. I thought the game pretty much you know, went with the scoreline or vice versa, Leicester with a better side. But yeah, they, they were they were excellent. I thought the interplay for the first goal in particular with Pereira and Tielemans and Barnes and then obviously finished off by Vardy. A little bit similar to the goal they scored at uh, Palace last week with mm. uh, Gray and Vardy combining. And I thought Vardy was just exceptional round as well. He contributed to the second goal with uh, Madison's low drive. And, um, you know, he's got a lot of love this this season, Vardy, but it's really incredible how good he is and how consistent he's been since Rodgers came in. His scoring record is exceptional against the big sides as well. I think it's 9-9 nine nine he's got against Arsenal over his career now. Yeah, it is. So, yeah, yeah. They're, um, they're a great side to watch. And I must say they're a better side than I thought after the first five or six games. Right. And I think they'd got lucky on a couple of occasions. But, yeah, that was just a really controlled performance. It was as much about not really allowing Arsenal a sniff as it was about attacking. At this point, is there a better footballing side in the Premier League? Yeah, I think Liverpool are better sides to oh, watch. Okay. Yeah. All right, just checking. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they've uh, got one point more than they had at this stage of their title-winning season. They've scored more and conceded fewer goals than Liverpool. And Jamie Vardy's obviously doing amazingly. He's the top scorer in the Premier League this season with 11 goals. Top scorer this calendar year as well, which is a stat that I always enjoy uh brendan rogers of course has been at leicester for less time than unai emery has been at arsenal there was a fascinating statistic about his 50 games in charge and the final 50 games in charge under arsene wenger and sasha the fact is that they are doing worse than the form which prompted them to change the manager in the first place but i think sometimes the stat could be misleading because there is a rebuilding job but he's not 50 games in mm. And also, if you look at the content of the play, it's a bit like... And, you know, he had Ozil playing behind the front two yesterday. And my feeling is the best Arsenal performances that came under Emery were when Aaron Ramsey was around. 
because he could play that role just behind the front two really well, do the work in midfield. Why can't Ozil? Because he doesn't do the work. I just like I, you know after midweek after they drew five all at Anfield um, in in the um, in the League Cup. Oh, sorry, last week. And I was like, yeah, Ozil's back. Look at that back heel. He was playing against the second string in the in in. This wasn't wasn't a glorified friendly, but it wasn't a full pelt first team game. And also in that game, uh, he got uh, hooked on about sixty five minutes, precisely when Liverpool went from four two down to four all. Uh, when Curtis Jones came on, and they were saying before after the game, oh yeah, this was all intended and stuff. I'm not so sure. So I, th- I think uh, it, whether it's mental or whether it's a drop off in, in, in you know in his physicality, but he just doesn't he does not seem to be switched on in these types of games where you have to work where you have to stick to information. Arsenal aren't either because I think one of the goals that um, Leicester score, the man on the ball has four Arsenal players in front of him. But they are just four Arsenal players in front of them. They, they aren't in any shape. Like, they're like in a semicircle, and they're not really doing anything. Um. That sounded harsher than I think you intended. <laughs> four players in front of them, but they're just Arsenal players. <laughs> my, my favourite description of the game was Daniel Story was at the King Power. He says, Arsenal passing out from the back is like watching a small child hit a hornet's nest with a stick. <laughs> and again, he's been trying to do it for a year, and they still yeah. can't do it. The, the, the pass map from Arsenal's Europa League game was... Sasha made a ugh noise. It, right. it was that bad. It was sort of like a U shape where this was no the one-one draw. At the one-one draw where no no Arsenal player particularly wants to play it through the middle or also play the two very very good strikers Arsene Wenger bequeathed upon his successor. Arsenal were a team that are being held back by their manager. I think just the manager. I I think the difference between Arsenal finishing in the in the Champions League spaces and finishing the Europa League spaces is the manager. Okay, they have a squad strong enough, especially now. Tottenham Hotspur aren't the team we thought they'd be. Um, there is there is a gap there, and at the moment it looks like Leicester City will take it. Arsenal could challenge a lot better if they had a superior manager that had a, had a clearer tactical vision. Because I have no idea what Emery's trying to get from this team. Right, RM says have Arsenal hit rock bottom? Can things get worse from here, Michael? Well, I think things can always get worse because it's a very competitive top half of the Premier League. I mean. Uh... You know, there's other sides that may improve and go ahead of them. But yeah, it's, uh, it's really difficult to see what Emery's bringing to Arsenal at the moment. And I think he's creating more problems. You know, the captaincy thing we've discussed, but right. just such an off-field distraction. Um, but yeah, on, on the pitch, they, they it's difficult to see any part of the side that looks competent at the moment. They changed system in midweek for the Europa game and stuck with the three men at the back here. I didn't really see the value of that. Um, I think there's a bit of a problem actually with with Lacazette and Aubameyang. I know everyone thinks they work well together and sometimes they score together, but I don't think they've ever found the right system to play Lacazette and Aubameyang in. If they play them up front together, I think they look weaker in deeper positions. If they play one of them wide, I think Aubameyang's wasted on the flank. He doesn't do much aside from Mm. score goals. So yeah, I, I mean, it's a massive failing considering after the transfer window closed, we all... You know, most people, myself included, probably had Arsenal to finish third. It looked wow. like they'd done really good business. And now, you know, with the Leicester and Chelsea playing much better than we thought, they're really struggling. They are currently lying sixth. But as you say, it's so tight. Uh, just a single defeat could see them uh, as low as 15th. Everton, who are only three points behind them, down in 15th. Extraordinary. They had one shot in this game at the King Power from Lacazette in the 20th minute. And no efforts of any kind on or off target after the 53rd minute. That's an extraordinary statistic. But it, it just shows that they basically that they can do it for a bit and then they lose interest. Uh, but also, <laughs> you, you look at um, league, league table and you say it's very tight. Um, you know, they're like between, say, 5th and 16th on yeah. four points. Not but tight above that. Exactly. They're eight <laughs> points off the Champions League. So yeah. at this stage, you look at Emery and you think, well, should we just try something? Because, you know, they're not going to go down. But is, is there any way they could gamble and try to actually get in the Champions League? 
Well, you, very conflicting stories coming out of the Emirates. Uh, one that the club are backing Emery all the way. The other that the, the, the latest name being associated with the job is uh, Luis Enrique, um, which, you know, be an interesting shout. Uh, there is an international break upon us, which is always a dangerous time for managers under threat. And uh, Emery, by no means the only man in that category. On the subject, meanwhile, of Saturday's action up there with Leicester, behind them on goal difference alone, in third place in the Premier League are Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Frank Lampard, uh, freshly crowned manager of the month, but winning despite that this weekend. And in, in uh, very impressive fashion no, against Palace early on Saturday. Yeah, pretty comprehensive. Palace didn't really have a sniff. Chelsea just seemed to be able to create chances from all manner of situations. I thought Rhys James, who was excellent when he came on against Ajax, was very good at right back. Another goal for Pulisic and another mm. headed goal. Thought his all-round play was really good. Kovacic was spraying diagonals out wide. The one question I'd, I'd have about Chelsea is uh, what they do in midfield because Jorginho and Kovacic have been so good together. Yeah. Obviously, Kante's returned from injury. You think Kante probably won't be left out, but could mean a change in system to 4-3-3. Um, but they have played both systems very well, so it shouldn't be a problem. Well, Jorginho absent for this game. and Maybe they felt that a little bit to begin with, but uh, coming good with a 2-0 victory. And, and Palace, who have a terrific record of going... Uh, away to big clubs and, and, and springy surprises. Uh, not able to do so here. That choice of putting Reese James on Zaha uh, seemed like pretty sharp. I mean, it was the kind of managerial move that I could understand, but it, I'm still going to call it a sharp, sophisticated idea. It was. I saw Reese James in uh, under-23 game earlier in the season. He, he's he got great 1v1 dueling capabilities. He's, uh, in a nice way, he's a big boy, yep. so he's not going to shirk the physical stuff as well. And right. he's, he's certainly up for it. He's got. How old is he? Well, one he's like 18 he's, or something like 18. that. He's very big for his age. He's a he? big boy. He's built yeah. quite strong. He's not going to bounce. You know, if you, you run on him, you might bounce off, uh, to put it one way. Great intelligence of body. Really, really good pace. Uh, it's got fantastic intangibles with right. some of the players he came out through with the youth system, obviously through the academy. He's particularly got a really good relationship with hudson Adoy. So if those two ever play together, look out for the flick-ons and runs. They constantly play off each other as well. He's a player. I like him a lot. Excellent. And even Zuma's looking all right, no? He is. Kurt Zuma's a, a real, again, phenomenally bizarre body type. Uh, fantastic vertical in, leap. In, in what way? In that he's got a fantastic vertical okay, leap. Right. Uh, so, you know, when he done his ACL, it's because he, he just jumps high in a way that doesn't really make sense. And then when he came down with such a bang, his ah, knee right, okay. That is, um, that is exactly what happened, wasn't it? Yeah. It's just, oh, okay. just impossible he to just land. Went, yeah. And then landed and his knee buckled. He's, he's, right. he's got just a great vertical leap in sort of the basketball sense. Right. Um, so he, he, he can be good in the air when he sort of understands how his body works. And it's that sort of thing where he gets more game time, he rediscovers his first touch, he understands, oh, wait, this is how fast I should run and do and jump and whatnot. And he slowly gets better throughout the season. It mm. happened quite similar against Everton as well, All when right. he was in Everton as well. But I think I think it's quite curious the way sort of Zoom is coming back to form around, alongside Tamori, who sort of became a linchpin at that, uh, the back for Chelsea. Like, in his like, first, how much is it, about 10 games? Mm -hmm. um, I spoke to him after the uh, Chelsea-Liverpool games, just really level-headed, really mature, just a really... Um, I, I think really good mentality and if they're all like that all, all his colleagues all these kids that came through Chelsea I think I think it's an amazing blend uh, just an amazing blend of minds with um, with Lampard Alright an 8 point gap between the top 4 and the rest uh, the rest being led right now by the team in 5th place Sheffield United who were at Tottenham and were disappointed to only get a draw Spurs won, Sheffield United won. My word, the Blades play some football. The 
goal that was given, the build-up to that, which actually Sheffield United then put out as a little clip on social, it goes on for hours. They're just passing it kind of back and forth. And Spurs are, are there kind of wandering to and fro between the ball, gazing on like sheep being herded up a field. It must be great fun to play uh, that system. For Sheffield United? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, I slightly struggle with the the 23 pass move thing because my conclusion from that is two years ago the one side you don't do that against the Spurs because they're so energetic and press high and they were just so passive yeah and uh, it, don't get me wrong Sheffield United do play great football but I think they actually play better football when they move the ball a little bit more directly and, and have forward running from the, the centre-backs as we all know about but yeah it was another really good performance from Sheffield United as you say they'll be disappointed not to get uh, all three points there because they created lots of chances. Lundstrom very prominent again. Right. Stevens uh, down the left, who was excellent in the the win last weekend against Burnley. Yeah, just all these kind of players who I must admit I hadn't heard of uh, until the summer. We just look like Premier League footballers and up to what, fifth place. Fifth place, yeah, just right, yeah. brilliant. I mean, I, I I thought they'd be exciting, but maybe a little bit naive and and be battling against relegation, but. It's difficult to remember in recent years a side that's come up and been this exciting and this competent from such an early stage. They felt they'd scored what what would have been... Well, it would have been their first goal, but would have given them the victory. But that was called back for a toenail offside. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've, I've been a futurist for football and, and VAR since the World Cup, and I, I thought VAR was fantastic. And then this season, I've been in the stadiums and gone, VAR is utterly baffling. And I think that incident will be the one everyone goes to come the end of the season going, no, we have to scrap this, we have to get rid of it. It should have stood. I I am truly baffled as to why that didn't stand. Come the end of the season, that incident will be the one that people point to when they say we should stop this VR experiment. Wow. Because, yeah, it, it is quite baffling to people in the stadiums. Right. And, you know, to be fair, at home a bit as well. Unbeaten in, on the road this season, Sheffield United. Are they going to get found out in the second half when teams adjust to their style of play, Sasha? Well, they seem to uh, be completely baffled by it so far. I don't know how long it takes top league managers to figure out how their opposition plays. Uh, because I think it's one thing to have it in theory, but the other thing is players on the pitch who know almost genetically like where they're supposed to be at certain right. times, how to react to certain runs. When these weird fullback centre-backs come at them at strange angles, they might not intuitively like know where to go in these situations. And if you want to drill something into them, it takes a bit of time. I would like to say there's one amazing thing for me about this game because I was watching it on Match of the Day 2 last night, watching the highlights. And the fact that the commentary said when Son, I think, scored his goal that yeah. um, would Sheffield United, uh, uh, Sheffield United going to be punished for missing all those chances? Sheffield United at Spurs. Yeah. Like to the extent that they're wasting chances to be ahead. I think it's just an extraordinary turn of phrasing that. Oh, they are brilliant news uh, in the meantime, and uh, long may it continue. Tottenham Hotspur have been bad now for a calendar year. The Champions yeah. League run has sort of covered up this huge drop in form. And, and like Michael, you just said, sort of two years ago, you would not be able to string 26 passes against Tottenham Hotspur. They can't run anymore. The press is gone. Um, my friend who's a Spurs fan mentioned about how the Belgian pairing and centre-back sort of has dropped off massively fans want to see more of these new signings they want to see more of Lo Celso they want to see more of Ndombele I think Ndombele well, that was the thing I mean he went with the side that had been so successful midweek against uh, Red Star but uh, results against Red Star I mean absolutely nothing in the Premier League yeah. so they're in this weird phase where sort of Ndombele is perhaps their best player but because he's not fully attuned to the Tottenham Hotspur system 
he can't quite last the 90 minutes. Um, Spurs are in this very odd space where they're quite reliant on Christian Eriksen, but also they Christian Eriksen can't do Christian Eriksen things anymore because he's been running non-stop for the best part of three seasons. It, it's very reminiscent of Klopp's final season at Dortmund and... I think at the end of the season they all should just shake hands and, and decide to, to go off their separate ways. I'm Jose Mourinho. I know a thing or two about being special. English manager of the year three times, special. Winning the little jackpot on Paddy Power Games, not special. Understood, Jose. Yes, someone wins an average £40,000 jackpot every single day. So if you win, don't think you're special. Daily Jackpots by Paddy Power Games. Jackpots must be awarded by 11pm and vary from day to day. Jackpot is shared with other operators. Available on selected games. T's and C's at paddypower.com. 18plusbgumbleware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. Michael, that incredible goal that you saw at Cliftonville this weekend... Mm-hmm. wasn't the end of the story because on Sunday you flew from Belfast to Macclesfield mm-hmm. uh, to witness the largest win for a non-league side in the FA Cup for 36 years. Yeah, it was very exciting. I must say there's something of an asterisk here because Macclesfield are in a, a terrible situation at the moment. Right, they uh, were playing Kingstonian. They were my club Kingstonian, so I'm going to put the bias aside for a second and say that, yeah, uh, the story here is Macclesfield. Their players haven't been paid for two months and therefore their first team was on strike all week. Right. Uh, they didn't play in the game, so Macclesfield's side was comprised of uh, six youth teamers and five low knees. Right. Basically anyone who's... I thought you were going to say Arsenal players for a second. No, no, that would have been a giant killing. But uh, <laughs> So yeah, it was... it was, Well, it was literally men against boys, really. The, right. um, the youth side from Macclesfield, good technically, you know, promising players, but clearly had not come up against, you know, proper men before and, and they were, to be honest, outclassed from a very early stage. So it was a slightly odd giant killing. Uh, but nevertheless, as a Kingstonian fan, you know, probably our biggest best day in 18 years so it was a fantastic trip okay a 4-0 victory 4-0 victory yeah and it was it was 2-0 from an early stage and and there wasn't really any tension or competitiveness in the game all right then Uh, seventh tier Kingstonian taking their place in the second round not the biggest uh, or not the lowest ranked team through because you got Chichester City who had a bye because of Bury, but also uh, eighth tier Malden and Tiptree aka the Jammers Mm -hmm. who went to League 2 late in Orient had a man sent off but still won 2-1 yeah, that was Incredible. a great story. And I think I'm right in saying they've won every game this season in the league. They've won 20 games out of 21. But I, okay. so, that might be in all competitions. Near so. enough. Yeah. <laughs> What's the background there? Amazing manager, lots of money. They're, they're from Essex. So probably loads Producer of money. Ben says they're probably just jammy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there might be more on that, Sasha, in the Football League show, Totally Football League show on Wednesday with Caroline Barker. Sean, no doubt also be leading discussions on the fact that non-league Dover put Sol Campbell's South End out of the uh, first round of the FA Cup. So it's all very interesting. The draw for the second round takes place 7pm on Monday night. Will that be in the, the one show? Or no, I think th- it's a standalone programme Is now. it? I said it was the one show last time and not only was I wrong, you then insisted on playing the one show theme tune. <laughs> oh, right. It's bad at any time. But we can the stand that down, Ben. Won't be needing that. But okay. I think they are, whatever programme they're doing it, I think they're doing it at Chichester, aren't they? Yes. Who are? You're right. Uh, the draw. Oh, yeah. Why? Lowest ranked team. That That's makes the sense. narrative. Right. Can I just Sorry. say as well, like the Macclesfield fans were holding a protest outside the ground and were just incredibly nice to us. Okay, excellent. Fascinating. Very good. Now, sitting a point behind the Blades in seventh place, look out, Premier League. Here come Man United. It's 
true, isn't it, Carl? They're back. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer coming, uh, calling their 3-1 win over Brighton their best performance of the season. No. That good? <laughs> oh. No. They beat Chelsea 4-0. Come on. But that was weird. No, they were rubbish in that game. <laughs> yeah. We all said they were rubbish in that yeah, game, and we've been proved right because Chelsea turned out to be good, and Man United They were rubbish in that game, but they beat, they beat Chelsea 4-0. So. All right, okay. But, I, that's, that's, the maybe not their best result of the season, but was it their best performance of the season? Cummings, it did. What, after that big win against Partizan Belgrade? That's like six goals in a week? Hooray. <laughs> they're, they're, they're seventh. Okay, they beat they beat a Brighton side, which but mild, mild mild disrespect to Brighton. They should cons- they should be beating Brighton every single time they meet Brighton. Um, yes, it Manchester United look far better now. Uh, Anthony Martial is in the number nine slot. Um, his partnerships with with Marcus Rashford mm. they complement each other and hide each other's weaknesses. Rashford did a fantastic flip flap. And nutmeg someone, which was that was brilliant. That was really nice, yeah. and and also the Instagram he did afterwards, where he sort of went, "Oh, I've been practicing this on my brother," um, which I'm like, "Ah, good." He he's still he's still a street baller. Um, that was quite good. Uh, Scott McTominay pretended to be a footballer, which is always good. And just prayer, maybe got a massive deflection. It's very hard to get excited about this Manchester United team because they're not going to end up in the Champions League spaces. Uh, they seem to be quietly going, "Paul Pogba, who is Paul Pogba?" Right. Get really excited for Scott McTominay. And I, I don't want to have to get excited about Scott McTominay. Well, you McTominay. won't be able to for a, a bit, probably, because he got carried off. He did. He, he's, he's Manchester United's most important player. And he, 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 how long is he going to be out for? What was it, an ankle there? It looked as if he was he was sort of clutching the lower part of his leg. Um, right. And that means now it's going to be Fred and Nemanja Matic in, in, in the central midfield pivot. Why am I excited? No. Where's my director of football? I come on this podcast every time and I say, where is my director of football? Donde? Esther? <laughs> Five five wins in the last six games in all competitions for Man United, just saying in that. Michael? It's interesting you say that about Rashford putting on Instagram because the front page story on the Sunday Times yesterday, as we're speaking, was that Solskjaer was going to ban his players oh, from so- social media or wanted them to use it less, mm. which one I thought was just such a kind of tedious kind of old man thing to say and secondly I was amazed that was the front page story so I'm Stop. delighted that Rashford is defying this apparent ban Solskjaer talks about this this need for boringness uh, when, when you want to be winning games you want to be boring you want to train play football go home rest uh, and how Instagram and, and in, in Jesse Lingard's case his, his fashion line are, are distractions which I don't particularly go in for. I don't think Jesse Lingard is a bad... Does he have a fashion line? Jesse Lingard has a fashion label called J-Lings with the J-Lings logo, which lost uh, £200,000 in its opening year. Two weeks' wages. Indeed, two weeks' wages for for, for Jesse Lingard, which people were were laughing or fawing about because I think they expect Jesse Lingard to be stood over a spreadsheet and, and... and being in charge of J-Ling's personally when I'm assuming he's hiring people who know that sort of stuff to be in charge of the business. Um, Social media is not the reason why Manchester United are not in the Champions League spaces. The reason they're not in the Champions League spaces is because they should have bought at least two central midfielders over the summer and they didn't do it. Um, And they are still incredibly frail in the fullback areas and they probably could have bought another option on the right wing as well. It strikes me as this is another thing Solskjaer is basically saying this wouldn't have happened in the old days. And of course, in his playing days, there wasn't social media because we didn't really have the internet. But that group of players, I mean, David Beckham was maybe the first celebrity footballer of that level. Ryan Giggs was always on magazine covers. Dwight York was going out with Jordan. Andy Cole was making rap songs. Well, maybe singular. Roy Keane was going to the pub and offering out rival football players 
for yeah. scraps. Like, I, I find maybe they need to do more of that. You feel there's a decent amount of needle to that Manchester United side. I will say they don't they don't shirk it. Okay, uh, at the bottom. Three points is now the gap between the bottom three and the rest. And as we say, above that, everybody's pretty much comprised within another three points before we get to the top four. Quick word on Everton's win at St Mary's, Carl. It can be very quick if you like. You were there. I was there. Is this a big result for Everton? Yes. That, that was very much, you know, every time you go into a, an international break, they're sort of the, the crisis conch, which manager has to hold it. I'm like, oh, right. God. It was going into the game, there were scarves. Placed right. on every single seat in the in the home end, uh, and uh, scarves, scarves for Southampton fans. We march on and come on Southampton. Okay, and a fan commented, "Well, the, by come the full time, many fans had taken those scarves, thrown them on the pitch in disgust." All right, and uh, one fan commented to me, "Oh, it's really nice. I could turn that scarf into a blindfold." That was how bad <laughs> the first half was. <laughs> the first half was maybe the worst forty-five minutes I've seen of Premier League football this season. Right, um, Everton aren't a particularly good team, but. Southampton had nothing. Meek, timid. Um, Tom Davis scored a back post header after four minutes. Tom Davis is five foot eleven. All of Southampton's three centre backs are over six foot. I don't understand why that happened. There's a the residing image from that game should be around that forty fourth minute where Everton were just passing on the back four. Southampton weren't really pressing. Hustle all wants his team to press. They would play high pressing football, they generate those turnovers. And Hustle was going, Go, go, get them. And the team did nothing. It is deeply concerning if you're a Southampton fan. And Marco Silva was quite, you know, proud as punch, very, very bullish in his press conference afterwards. They asked him, you know, why did you drop Moise Ken from from your match day squad? He goes, It was a decision. You know, happy as Larry. Yeah. Which is all Should he be bullish? Because I mean this is like to me this was like the low confidence derby. And <laughs> they've got I think they have a Norwich after the international break and then they had the horrendous run of fixtures. So therefore can they really take anything from this? I mean they'll take the goal. Um, so I'm really, really sorry. I'm about to bring up the 9-0. Um, when Southampton lost 9-0 to Leicester, Leicester had 25 shots on goal. Southampton gave up 24 shots on goal to, against Everton. Really? 24 it, shots? Yeah. Wow. Only five of those were on, on target because Everton aren't, again, Everton aren't a very, very good football side. Right. But Southampton are coughing up chances at ridiculous rate. Okay. It's interesting you say that that was the most boring half of Premier League football you've seen because the most boring half I've seen was Everton the previous weekend. But I think we found a pattern. <laughs> <laughs> Elsewhere down there, Villa are now in the firing line after their defeat to Wolves. Watford are bidding to break out after their Friday night 2-0 victory over Norwich. Watford with their first win of the season. Took the lead about a minute and a half in through Dale Lefeo. Got a second through Andre Gray. They're ahead of Saints now on goal difference. Three points from safety. Troy Deeney was sat on the bench as well at Carrow Road. And, uh, yeah, the, the number of teams that potentially play worse than Watford is maybe mounting as well. Troy Dean will be big for Watford when they return. De La Feo sort of ran that game. I saw parts of it on the Friday. And it did look as if De La Feo was a Premier League football player while everyone else was not. They have created chances this season. And Watford? They did, yeah, they just need someone to finish them. And obviously dini has been out for quite a while after this operation. It was funny that the goal scored by Gray was a, a wonderful finish. Hasn't really got that much attention. I thought it was brilliant. But it's also the kind of finish that I think shows why he won't be prolific because it will come off maybe one in five attempts, whereas Deeney in that situation would smash it and we've probably scored two or three. Remind me what attempts. it looked like. Uh, Daly Foe had the ball down the left, kind of dinked it into the box. Right. And there was a kind of swivel back heel by Gray to knock it into the bottom corner. I think for Norwich, it's almost looking like curtains because the way that first goal was conceded, the way Buendia was trying to flick it past De La Feu and got tackled instead and then De La Feu just 
didn't it wasn't even that fast that he ran through the whole Norwich team scored and after that they didn't for me they didn't really show much at all mm. and then um, Watford go down to 10 men for the last 25 minutes and Norwich show, show nothing at all either bottom two in the Premier League both managed by rising German managers not rising well, yeah, not, oh. not rising anymore <laughs> but it's funny how many goals they've conceded Norwich from giveaways from Wendia and Cantwell who were so good in the first few mm. weeks of the season it was like who are these guys they're incredible but both of them have almost looked out of their yeah. depth they, in recent yeah, weeks Cantwell got dropped and actually this time he came on for Wendia and didn't, didn't really do much more um I think I think it's interesting what I still don't think Kiki Sanchez Flores will save Watford. What? Um I, like I found the first time he was at Watford he kind of only had his 4-4-2 and once he started messing with the system it really didn't work for him. He had like that first spell he had Kapu playing on left wing mm-hmm. and I was like what are you doing? Um it was it was a bit mad. Now he's playing five at the back. Um he certainly has tightened up defensively, but how flexible is he going to be going forward? Uh, I know he's got players coming back. For me, I think it's a little bit defensive numbers plus Foster in fantastic form. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't, Mike. What, we'll, what do you think? We'll see, Sasha. He's playing, we'll a, see. He's playing an inferior version of the football he was playing the last time he was in charge of Watford. Wolves got a good result, two uh, one over Villa. Do you know that it's the first time that they've beaten Villa in the top flight since 1978, when the BGS were riding high in the charts with Night Fever. We're not going to play it in. Don't worry. <laughs> Although it's a great track. The Wolves jump up to 8th place. Villa slipped to 17th. So actually, you, you weren't a fan of Adama Traore last time you were on. Uh, so basically, maybe I should diss him some more and then he'll become even better. Ah. Because he's been actually, he's been yeah. really impressive <laughs> since I've been on the show. Right. And uh, yeah, he's sort of running a movement yesterday. The way he actually had the presence of mind to set up the second goal, I thought it was very impressive. But I thought it was quite interesting the way that I think every time he's been spoken about or every time he speaks, it's all about really big folks. I'm learning, I'm learning, mm. I'm learning. And uh, his manager's also talking about him learning. So they're obviously putting a lot of effort into him, but maybe it's finally beginning to pay off because he did well. Do you know that he's had a senior call-up yes, for Spain yeah. now? I mean, he, feels... he hasn't accepted it yet. Because Has he not? No, no he ah, said he was injured okay. without specifying in what mm. fashion. That call-up very much seems like the Spanish FA trying to make, trying to block a move from... Mali. Yes. Yeah. And what would have been good about him Millions being called of up Mar- by... Uh, Marley is they've got two other players in their squad called Adama Traore. Brilliant. So I'm, I'm delighted <laughs> yeah. he's playing for Spain instead. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Newcastle got a second straight victory. They beat Bournemouth. That, yeah. The second game in a row that their uh, centre-halves have scored as well. That was a baffling one, in a nice way. Just sort of, huh? It's just as well, though, because the lads up front... With Your French <laughs> oh, they, they got the best bit so far when, obviously, Sam Maximan and, and Almiron are yet incredible. to score. So there was a bit where Sam Maximan went through, rounded the goalkeeper, yeah. goalkeeper got a touch. Ball came out to Almiron, who shoots straight at Sam Maximan, <laughs> it deflects over. And to be fair, even they found it really funny. So they're brilliant to watch, aren't they? Oh, there Everything is about so them. much energy. Yeah. There's so much energy there. And Joe Ellington hasn't scored yeah. for quite a while sure. now as well, so they're just relying on centre-backs. And yeah. That Yedlin goal was strange. But it was beautiful, wasn't it? Beautiful? I've never seen a goal like that before. Again, describe it, Michael. So who had the shot from the left? Sam Maximan. Yeah. He Sam really Max- hit yeah. it, really so hit it as Sam well. Sam Maximan had the shot from the inside left position, got a deflection. And because Yedlin was just running so fast, just on the offside line, he ended up having like an open goal header from two yards. Like a salmon. It was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was brilliant. He is so fast, isn't he? Yedlin. Oh, he's rapid. Yeah. Like um, a salmon. And I think if you look at the league table as well, it's amazing. Newcastle United are now above Spurs. That is true. In 13th place and a win, hypothetically, in two weeks' time would take them fifth if everybody else above them didn't pick up any points. <laughs> it's but incredibly you know, volatile. 
it is, isn't it? I did I did worry going into the start of this season the sort of asterisks between of like the impact of the Nations League, Copa America right. and AFCON would have on, on Liverpool and Manchester City. But there seems to be sort of like a trickle down effect of everyone else being like, We've got a truncated summer. What on earth's going on? I don't know. Uh one last game that we haven't mentioned yet. Burnley's three 0 win over West Ham. It's very nice for Burnley, isn't it? West Ham though. <laughs> Sasha, why are you so excited about that? <laughs> Flap! Yeah. He was doing it for a birthday. He was so bad. Poor chap. Just, uh, just comically awful. <laughs> I mean, it's the week before, uh, there was a cross that came into the box, and he came out for it, and he was like five yards away, and right. he got headed over him. And this time, it basically looks like Dice said, just raining crosses on this guy. He'll, he'll, he'll basically mess up. He messes up for the first goal because he should be catching the balls coming in. Mm-hmm. So he punches it corner, they concede. And, you know, the third one, it's a guy who's completely low on confidence. Uh, Ashley Barnes is sort of just barging into him a little bit. He should be going up with both hands and catching that. Yeah. And it's just like... And then it, I thought it was quite, quite... It's almost endearing. After that, he just saves everything. But the yeah. game's gone. Game's gone. But he's not the only issue at West Ham. They had no shots on or off target in the first half of the game. Wow, I didn't know that. It was mm-hmm. bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, uh, Pellegrini, I was reading an interesting profile and it was suggesting that he had a terrific Palmares CV or whatever, but then went off to China. And, and that's kind of the moment where you say, I'm now only here for the money. Uh, <laughs> so whether, I don't know, we've got this international break coming up. You've got, he certainly won. You, you could imagine a bit of kind of talk of re- regime change. We mentioned Arsenal, Hasenhudl at Saints. Do you, are we going to see a change over the international break, do you think? I want to say no, simply because I don't know what manager in their right... Well, all the managers you normally associate with going to West Ham have already been hired and sacked by West Ham. So, so right. they've already had Big Sam. Sort of, is Tony... Pe- I don't know. Tony Pulis at West Ham? No. Why, why have I said that? Um, it is been interesting very show, peculiar actually. what's going on at West Ham. This... this Midfield pivot of I said before I'd never want to see Jack Wilshere in a midfield two. Whatever's going on this midfield two between Declan Rice and Mark Noble isn't working. Uh, I think I read the same article which more or less brought up how Cresswell yeah is meant to be an attacking fullback and then didn't do any hasn't done anything until <laughs> hasn't done anything. in over six hundred minutes of Premier League football, which is very concerning. It can't just be Fabianski, but there does seem to be a massive deficiency in. In defending. Yeah, like Alaire's is... not doing anything, never gets any service, etc. and so on. They're currently 16th below even Everton and Lanzini's out for a while with a dislocated shoulder. So they'll miss all his goals and assists, which he hasn't actually done very many of. But, you know. Still. I was very concerned at the speed, at, well, the speed at which Lanzini returned. He blew out his ACL. You don't come back from that or anywhere near, normally anywhere near that for about a good 18 months, really. And sort of when he did his injury originally, he said, I want to come back for Christmas. And everyone, no that you should be out for at least a year came back more or less on schedule and then hasn't done great but how how severe was his ACL though because I think there's levels of ACL you can mangle your whole knee or you can just tear it um, so I don't know the specifics but the way he has talked about his ACL injury was a bit that is awfully optimistic are you sure I like maybe he put cheese on it <laughs> I don't know science is wonderful these days uh, there you go. We've, we've still got some uh, other interesting things from the weekend to touch upon. But before we do that, uh, let's get some odds on some of the things we've been talking about so far. Courtesy of producer Ben in conversation with Paddy Power. Thank you very much, Jimbo. Lee Price on the line from Paddy Power. Lee, as we head into the international break, let's take stock of the Premier League. A huge win for Liverpool against Man City yesterday. What has that done for the title odds and the top four race? 
Yeah, so much for a title race. More like a solo pursuit now, isn't it? Liverpool up two to five, heavily odds on. Man City now nine to four, and that's the longest price that they've been almost in living memory. The last few seasons, of course, they've been odds on to win the title. Chelsea one to eight to finish in the top four now. Leicester eight to thirteen, both odds on. Arsenal and Tottenham a distant four to one to break the Champions League spots. United are five to one. Wolves twenty five to one. And what about the other end of the table? Give us the relegation markets, please. Yeah, losing the first official relegation six-point of the season was not a good look for Norwich. They're now into one to four, while Watford are evens again to go down. Southampton join them in the Paddy Power relegation zone. Five to four, they get the drop, whereas Aston Villa are 15 to eight. Newcastle 11 to four, and West Ham, who are definitely wobbling into four to one after a lot of betting activity this weekend. And let's end on something more optimistic. Who's going to win the golden boot? Well, Jamie Vardy might want to start preparing a party. He's into favourite in this market now, albeit joint. He's 7-2 to win the Golden Boot, the same price as Sergio Aguero, who will be thankful he's not playing all his games at Anfield. Tammy Abraham, third favourite, at 6-1, and then three big names at 7-1, Harry Kane, Mo Salah, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Fun hasn't stopped for us yet on this Totally Football Show. Oh, no. We can talk about biggest game of the weekend, Michael. England 1, Germany 2 at Wembley, 78,000. So it wasn't a record in the end. Uh, but it was the biggest crowd that they'd have, they've ever had for England at Wembley. And it was a huge crowd. And a fifth defeat in seven for... Phil Neville's uh, lioness. Almost as if Phil Neville's not a good football manager. Well, that's one possibility. I bet they'll be exploring some of the other ones in the Offside Rule uh, podcast, which will be up uh, by the time this is, to be fair. A little bit later on, we'll be doing our Tuesday edition of the Totally Football Show, in which uh, James Horncastle and Julian Laron and Alvaro Romeo and via telephone Raphael Honigstein will be discussing some of the craziness that went on Around the continent this weekend. Did you catch any of that? Yeah, Sasha? I saw the uh, the big wall at Hertha Berlin. That was amazing. And then they took it down. I think they were sort of falling onto some of the opposition players. <laughs> was it? Yeah, I right. think, yeah, I think the I but think it was, was a Leipzig player who weren't very comfortable with it being brought down around them. Um, and but basically, yeah. this was it wasn't just a tifo across the curva. Mm-hmm. It went right across the pitch. pitch yeah, and it was an astonishing reenactment mm-hmm. or modelling of the of the, of who the, was who was Hasselhoff? I don't know. I don't know. Good point. There was also extraordinary scenes in Freiburg's clash with Eintracht Frankfurt, which saw the Freiburg manager strike, getting, well, struck by the uh, Frankfurt captain, David Abrahams, who basically there's a, a ball. The ball goes off field and he's running to collect it. And he's, he's about to run past the manager, who I think says something to him. So he just absolutely cleans him out as he goes by. And the, wow. the replay of the manager's face as he goes down, total shock. <laughs> of course, then the entire Freiburg bench clear off after David Abrams, and then you have a sort of melee out on the pitch, um, which disappointingly gets kind of calmed down quite quickly. But, uh, yeah, that was that was pretty amazing. Uh, also, you had De Classica with a mighty 4-0 win for Bayern Munich over Borussia Dortmund. We'll be talking about all of that on Tuesday. We'll also be discussing events in Italy where Napoli's meltdown continues apace. A big protest by the fans now against the players. Most of these stars are apparently going to be up for sale in January. 
Talking about Insigne making way, Mertens and Callahan being moved on. This is all. So, the, so they've sided with De Laurentiis, the fans. The fans have sided have sided with De Laurentiis. Who, to be fair, I suppose if you if you're taking the long view, is the man who rescued them when they were bankrupt mm. and in the third division and has brought them up. But uh, their feeling is that uh, the the players are mercenaries and they demand respect from the. The players. Even Mertens is a mercenary. It's extraordinary, isn't it, the mm. way that it's turned. But I th- I'm not sure if the, the fans are calling for Mertens' head mm. particularly, but the club have felt, uh, club feel that the ones, the ringleaders of the mutiny, this basically goes back to Champions League last week when they were told by the owner's son that they had to go back to the training ground and stay there as opposed to going home to their families after their 1-1 draw with Red Star Belgrade. Um, that uh, that all, the, all the players who basically said, no, we're not going to do that, um, have not... Have basically been threatened with legal action they've been fined and they've been told that they are going to be moved on whether all this happens or whether it's just De Laurentiis who is a man given to kind of fairly controversial proclamations about English women and B-days and all that kind of thing we shall see but it's really interesting they had a nil-nil draw with Genoa uh, he complained about women in England because he said they don't even know what B-Days yeah. are. Yeah, I, I just... <laughs> what? I, I just yeah. complain, I, I've known that for about I'm, five I, years or something. I had to look it up my, myself. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so and we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll also talk about the incredible Cagliari, who are third now in Syria, and look for real. Uh, Raja. Yeah, Raja Nangalan had a brilliant goal and set up another three. He was, I mean... You What's know his stats for the season? He's like, the goal seems to be goal assist know, every we'll game. We'll find out yeah. for Tuesday's show because it, he, it clearly means everything to him at the moment. Rarely do you see a player who comes out onto the field and go, right, I'm having this the way that he, he does at the moment. Uh, and some fantastic goals. Giovanni Simeone, Diego Simeone's uh, son with that wonderful backheel uh, flick for one of them as well. Juve beat Milan, uh, not bad Milan, on Sunday night. They'll be touched on there. But of course, the big news there was Ronaldo getting taken off before the hour, second game in a row, and walking straight down the tunnel and leaving the stadium shortly after. What is going on? Was it worth taking him off, or is it just power struggle? He's not playing well. Dybala did get the goal. Dybala did get the goal and looked immediately a billion times livelier. So, uh, yeah, hmm. maybe he needs a rest. Uh, we'll also touch on L'Olimpico, uh, Marseille taking on Lyon on Sunday night, and all that kind of thing. And oh my word, another hat trick for Erling Haaland. Uh, for Red Bull Salzburg, his goals. Let me just Such check. This it's thirty-five and twenty-one. You're absolutely right. Thirty-five and twenty-one. It was this was his sixth hat trick of the season. Of the <laughs> season. Of the season. That is crazy. Oh my god. Yeah. Wow. Remarkable. That's like Marco Negri territory. Yeah. So he won't oh, score any of yeah. it. <laughs> Probably not because he'll move, won't he? <laughs> Sorry. Well, that that that's an interesting question actually. Um, we'll also touch on events in Spain too where the big two, Real Madrid and Barcelona, got back to winning ways. Anyway, uh, all of that coming up on Tuesday. On that note, uh, that's where we'll wrap up this Totally Football show. Listen, thanks for being with us to the very bitter end. By the way, after Tuesday's show, Thursdays will be the first of the international week, which, as you know, means there's a little bit of extra room for any more off-field, off-beat topics if you want to throw something our way that you'd like to hear discussed in depth, then now's the time to do it at The Totally Show on the Twitter. Brilliant. Many thanks then to Sasha, to Carl and to Michael for being with us and you too, listener, and we'll catch you soon. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com 
keep up to date with everything across our Totally Football Network at The Totally Show on Twitter and make sure you check out our brand new website too, thetotallyfootballshow.com. <laughs>